0: I am uh, thinking about the fact of how patient of a father he is. He needs everlasting strength to put up with us, doesn't he? <laughs> to hit that reset button for us over and over and over again by his grace. And so we're just so thankful and amazed that he even, even call us his children, let alone take care of us as well as he does. We're going to be um, fairly brief this morning. We're going to stop at the bottom of the hour in order to dismiss the ladies and ask the men to stick behind for a special challenge, and so we're going to move through this very uh, fairly quickly this morning, so uh, hopefully this makes sense and comes out the way that I believe the Lord had intended for me to say if I was listening appropriately this week. So uh, I was thinking about uh, a word coming up in our text this morning, and um, I was reminded about Well, you you can relate to this experience. The things that stick in life that you want to use for something, think of like Saran Wrap. It sticks to something to serve a purpose. But it never sticks when you want it to. It sticks in in the Saran Wrap instance. It it sticks way before you want it to, right? As soon as you pull it off the thing, you get like that. And then it's like, well, I've got a baseball now. I've got to try to pull this thing out and stretch it all out and everything. And then if you can salvage it, then you stick it on the thing. I know the proper way, I guess, is to is to drag it out over your bowl or something like that, but those are the things that you only learn when you watch somebody cooking on TV or something. I had no idea that's how you're supposed to do it. Things in my life that I want them to stick, they stick way before I need them to, so I'm always trying to pry them off. My my wife had this experience last week. We were in the car, and, and uh, she uses those nails that you glue on, okay? You ladies are like, I can't believe he's sharing that secret. Um, one, I got permission. Two, uh, she's a busy mom. She's got a lot of kids and stuff. So I'm thinking, as, as a guy thinks, that's extremely practical. I'd do that if I needed those things, I guess, you know. Who's got time to sit around and have people do those things for you? So anyway, the point is, is that she was in the car in the passenger seat, and one of the nails had come undone, as it often does, and, um, and never at the right moments and stuff. And so apparently she was in that passenger seat re-gluing them on, using something to, so then all of a sudden she starts getting like kind of, when she gets either hurt or embarrassed or something, she starts laughing so hard that tears start coming out of her face and stuff. So she's over there laughing, but she's crying at the same time. So as a man, you're going, I don't know how to help in this situation because, you know, you're laughing. So I want to laugh too, but you're crying. So, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do there. And so as I'm, as I'm looking at her, I'm like, What's wrong with you? she goes, really stuck my." I just you. And that wasn't the tears. What had happened was the glue had got caught on her gum, and she had like an Elvis snarl going there. and she's like, it glue in "The glue with it the it. And she's laughing, so she's got tissue out, and she's doing this, and she's trying to do that, and every time she does it, more tissue sticks inside of her mouth. So it looks like she's got dental gauze or whatever going on there. Imagine how difficult it was for me to be sympathetic in that moment. And I've told that story three times since, so. All right. I I promise that has something to do with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Not a whole lot, but has a little bit to do with it. Because leadership, as we've been talking about for the last couple of months, uh, is played out in the public eye. You can't have leadership and total anonymity at the same time. As a leader, as you start to influence people, people start to notice and you start becoming more subject to scrutiny. Total privacy is not a luxury afforded to people in leadership. And so the Lord's going to take the qualifications of leadership very seriously because people are going to see what you do. And the case that I've been making for the last couple of months is each and every one of us, to some degree or another, should be open to the Lord's challenge from this passage of Scripture. We know that this Scripture is specifically calling men to leadership in the church. But I believe that these principles are the kinds of things there. It wouldn't make sense for us to say, well, that's for them. I don't need to, describe, I don't need to try to uh, attain any of these things. I don't, I don't plan to be a leader in the church. It would be wise for us to say, if these are the things that God has requested, they must be close to his heart, so therefore, Lord, show me what I need to improve upon. And so public scrutiny is always going to be um, a part of the leadership's life. You are going to have to be open to some criticism and accusation. But the point about things sticking at all the wrong times and all the wrong ways comes down to a word in our text In, uh, in 1 Timothy 3 we're just going to read just a portion of the overall text that we're going to eventually work our way through in verse one it says it's a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer it's a fine work he desires to do we had talked about that balance between desiring to do more for the lord desiring to lead and it not being a selfish desire but something because the job needs to get done you make yourself available to the lord so now the list of qualifications begin and then we're just going to, uh, look at the first, uh, out of the, out of the list. In verse two, it says, an overseer then must be above reproach. Another word for above reproach is blameless. What is getting, uh, the, what the point is being made here with the word blameless or the phrase above reproach is that there's nothing to take hold on accusations are going to come in the direction of the leader. People are going to say things. They're going to insult. They're going to question your character. They're going to question your decisions. All of those things. But will the accusations actually land? Will they stick? Will they grab hold? Now, the reason why we have to distinguish between accusations that stick and accusations that don't is because Jesus gave us a heads up that just because you're accused of something doesn't make you a bad leader. In fact, in John 15, he says... If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it even hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. For just the qualification of being in Christ, you're already going to receive accusation. You're already going to receive scrutiny. And so it's important to differentiate between accusations that stick that actually land because there's some truth to them and those that just bounce off the whole I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, bounces off me and sticks to you. And so that is the point that God is making in the text is that the accusations that stick have no place in the life of the leader. He says a leader, first of all, is to be blameless. So the simple application to this is make sure that the accusations that come your way are not really because of you or because of your fault, but because of who you serve, because of who you walk in. The accusations that stick will be the ones that are outside of your role with Christ, outside of your obedience to Christ. And yes, we're all going to have some of them. So we'll talk about this in a little bit, about how this is not a list of perfection. But the other idea of being blameless is, is, is if the evidence was being presented to an impartial jury and there's just no way that they can convict you based on it because they have no uh, horse in the race or skin in the game or anything and they look at all the evidence and say, I find this person innocent on this. You are able to withstand impartial scrutiny and that is a person who is leading a blameless life. But as we've been talking about here, this list for the leaders that God is choosing to lead his church and for those of us that have no aspirations of being in church office but still feel the need to lead in the surroundings that we are in, either in our home or in our community, in our place of work or any of these places, it's important for us to remember that this list of qualifications, again, is not based on talent or personality. The, li- the, the people that will fit this list are not born this way. This is a pursuit that you have to take on purpose. The pursuit of leadership is not casual. And so you're going to have to surrender to a certain path. And that's the path that I hope to lay out for you this morning in the few moments that we have together. This isn't a comprehensive list, but it's certainly a few things that I think sum up a majority of the pursuit of leadership. And it will all begin with godly influence and integrity because those two things go hand in hand. Going down the path towards leadership is going to ensure that you're going to have to dig up the nasty parts of your heart. And you're going to have to look inward. That is the first key that I'm going to lay out for you this morning in a pursuit to living a blameless life. And that is that the leader has to be introspective. Because these things are a matter of conscience. A leader has to develop a conscience like working out a muscle. One of the great leaders of all history is King David. And we even see from his own account in Psalm 139, which is is an incredibly powerful chapter and is one that has brought great comfort to people that are facing all sorts of anxieties and fears. And as he wraps up that chapter in verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, it's both a great burden and a great relief as you walk closer with the Lord that you start to see your own flaws. We have a tendency to think from an outward perspective that the person who is growing in their faith and becomes sort of like this Christian giant or this spiritual, you know, uh, um, soothsayer, somebody that we would trust all their words, we think they must feel so happy with themselves because they're complete, they don't sin, they don't mess things up. And what we find is that the deeper your relationship goes with Christ, and the more you see yourself in the reflection of God's word, the more you go, I cannot believe he saved me. The deeper your appreciation for grace becomes because you see how wicked and flawed you really are, and so it 's both a great burden because as you grow in christ you 're going to see more of your own heart, and that 's never that comfortable but it 's also a great relief because then the leader starts to relax and say, if he chose me by his grace, then he didn 't have any intention of doing this great thing through me because of my own talents, because of my personality, or any of those things it was it started by his grace, and it will only continue by his grace. It kind of takes me out of the loop the more I realize how broken and flawed I am, and yet he still wants to use me. You might back me up in your own mind as you think about this, but I believe that people respect a leader who can still be taught. And a leader who is introspective, one that still examines their own flaws, weaknesses, and shortcomings, is someone that can be taught My personal pet peeve, I really, it does something in me when I hear this, is that when Christians say, I can't work for anybody else. I've just determined in life, I can't work for a boss. I can't submit to anybody else's authority. I just just can't do that. It doesn't compute in my brain. I don't understand how the life of submission that's spelled out in the gospel and the following and needing to be led and the humility and the surrender all gets washed away when it comes to the thing that kind of proves who we really are in our faith, which is our work. So I don't really understand that because God's leaders are humble enough to listen and to take instruction from other people. So a leader, I believe, the first step on this path towards being blameless is somebody who has to be introspective, somebody who's willing to examine their own heart and let the Lord just have at it. God, I'm an open book and tear it open and do what you will with it. This week, I was going by um, some teaching on, on Christian radio, and um, I had heard David Jeremiah teaching on something, and he reminded me of uh, something that I had studied when I was teaching through Philippians years ago. And I believe that it's really uh, an important setup to what we're gonna, where we're going to go next with this. In Philippians chapter 1, the scripture says, And this I pray, in verses 9 and 10, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, And in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, and here's the key word coming up, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Those words are together on purpose, obviously, as the Holy Spirit penned the scriptures through human hands. In order to be sincere and blameless what happened in the days that the the passage was being written is that pottery was certainly a like a a, a staple of your um your dinnerware and all those kinds of things. And so now where we look at pottery as sort of a novelty and you collect it and it's really, you appreciate it because it's well done. That's what people use all the time. And so, um, there, it'd be very common to see pottery out in all the markets and you'd go and you'd buy, and then you'd try to have a discerning eye and say, which is the good pottery? Cause I'm tired of the stuff breaking in the dishwasher. You know, it's very dusty in those days. And so they needed to have. So, um, where's Mark on the drums when I need him. And so, uh, Uh, What would be very common is for people that were either less skilled or um, had less integrity, if they made mistakes or they cracked them or they chipped them or something like that, they would get this wax that would kind of fill in the, the, the grooves and the mistakes, and it would cover it up, and then they would sell it as though it were a perfect item. And people, of course, would not find out until the sunlight hit and the heat of the day came and it started melting away all the wax that was supposed to cover up the flaws. And so it wasn't uncommon for people who were the better pottery makers or the ones who had greater integrity to, ed- to advertise our uh, pottery uh, is without wax. And it, they would know what that meant. They didn't need any of those things to cover up the flaws. Your pottery jar is not going to break as soon as the sun comes out. And so what's going on with this word sincere is it really means that it's going to withstand the heat of the sunlight that is put on the jar itself. That to have a life of sincerity means that you don't need the wax to cover up all your flaws and your failures. And so as the light of the sun, as the heat and the intensity of life come down and bear on you, you, things aren't going to start washing away where people go, I thought that was a completely different person. The kind of leader that God is looking for is the one that didn't need all of that wax and doesn't need it on a regular basis. Yeah, I think it would be nice for uh, the leaders to develop uh, a what-you-see-is-what-you-get mindset. Now, I've I've grown up in Maine, and I'm used to that mindset from so many people I run into, and so I want to clarify here that I'm not talking about the kind of what-you-see-is-what-you-get that comes across as a prideful laziness. Hey, I don't have to change for nobody. I don't have to do anything you guys want me. I don't care what people think of me. I don't need to change. hear that all the time. I'm my own person. You have to take me as I am. This isn't what God is looking for in this list. He's looking for a humble honesty. Now, think about how different it sounds when somebody says, instead of, I don't have to change for anybody. And I I don't need to, you know, what you see is what you get. I don't need to cover up my flaws because you just have to deal with it. Think about it if somebody says, I'm not going to try to cover up my flaws. Because what you see is what you get. I am not going to impress you no matter what. I'm really not good at it. In fact, if you saw who I really am, you'd probably question whether or not I should even be a leader. And there's this humble honesty that says, I'm not even going to try to cover up the mistakes because it's going to be fruitless and I know the heat of life will, will pour on me and you're just going to see who I really am anyway, so why try? So a leader must be sincere. Sincere. A leader must be someone without wax. A leader also needs to be sacrificial. Now, I want to look at sacrifice from two different perspectives. We have negative motivators to sacrifice and we have positive motivators to sacrifice. What I mean by that is this, is that that um, what I want more is going to determine what I'm willing to give up. That's sort of like a positive influence towards sacrifice because I see something of great value out there and I want it so badly that these other things that I would sacrifice really don't mean that much to me anyway. So I'm not really sacrificing so much because I really want this other thing. You fill in the blank. I'm only talking about the heart's desire at this point. And so as I want the greater thing that I value more than anything else, the other things that are getting in my way are just slowing me down. So I'm going to get rid of them. I don't really care about them anymore. That's sort of the positive angle to sacrificing. Well, I think one of the great examples of this is when people decide they're going to start having children. And they think about that path of having children, and they go, there are probably a lot of things I've seen my parents raise me. I've seen other parents. I've seen young parents with babies. I've seen all these stages of life. There are things that we're going to have to give up. But we're willing to do it. Why? Because we love little babies because we want to see our generations continue, because we love the sound of little feet running down the hall, because we love, you know, having to band-aid little boo-boos and all those kinds of things, or we want the opportunity to lead and guide a child as they get older and prepared to go off on their own. There's this whole thing that almost instantly happens in our mind that we don't even have to spell out as much as I just did. And, And people go, of course you'd want to be a parent. It's a great pursuit. It's a great adventure. And actually, to illustrate that point, I thought what we would do is watch our friends from the Skit Guys who have provided us a couple of great videos just to see what I'm talking about. It's really I'm forcing this in and on our Father's Day. Uh, So pretend that this is a rabbit trail that applies to it. But it really does, because you think about the trade-offs in life, and that's what this man as a father is going to demonstrate for you. When you look down the road a little bit. You think about all the positives and the blessings that come from the sacrifice you're about to make. It isn't all that tough. And so as a leader, you start to value sacrifice differently. You start to look at things through new lenses. And so there are a lot of positive ways that you can be motivated to give things up when you start to see The value in them. Now, we just can't stay in the happy moments and think about all the the highlight reel of being a good dad. But there are also some mistakes. There are also some things that we go through. And I think that fear is often a misunderstood motivator as well. For the good leader, I think the good leader has to have a mix of fear in his life, his or her life, in order to stay on the right path. And there are two consequences that should at least scare us, for starters. I think the first would be that there'd be a punishment for our mistakes, a punishment for our sins. That God, being a good father, would correct us and keep us on the straight and the narrow. And Scripture gets a little scary in places when you read it from a sinner's perspective. When you're reading your Bible because you feel plugged in, you feel like you're just having this time of worship, the Bible is so hopeful, but when you're reading it because you know you're no rotten good, you go... (laughs) This is scary in here. You see, for me, and I know for many others, my desire to avoid judgment or punishment will motivate me to steer clear of all sorts of things. I wish I could say that it motivates me all the time and it always works, but that's why I have to have a balance of both positive and negative motivators. You see, you have to take these things seriously if you're going to lead. You have to be a little freaked out about how much damage you can do to your own life and to the lives around you if you want to stay on the straight and narrow. Jesus underscores what I'm saying, and I think puts it even in starker terms when he he says in Matthew 5, he says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your good hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I believe that a true leader is going to weigh out their own sins with such stark and sobering thoughts. That doesn't make him perfect, doesn't make he or she able to withstand all temptation and everything. But it certainly puts things in perspective that if we don't, there's a lot at stake. And Jesus is saying, it's better for you to value being with me and living in my kingdom than having any of these silly rights and freedoms and the things that are dragging you down send you to hell. And teachers and preachers always want to caveat this passage. And we don't have time. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit. So we have a fear of the punishment for our own sins and the correction that comes. Yes, even from a loving father, it is still punishment. We also should have a fear of tarnished reputations. Our own personal reputation, the hit that we take from people not being able to trust us anymore or or pushing people away because they can't relate to us any longer. More of a corporate reputation, the people that we represent, either our family or our jobs or our church or any of those things, they also take a hit when you and I screw things up. And also God's reputation, who is the king of kings and Lord of lords and his majesty is higher than anything you and I can touch. But we still make the attempt at dragging God's name through the mud when we live in sin and don't take these warnings seriously. Because God's warnings to his people are no laughing matter and a leader does not take them flippantly. A leader doesn't have the luxury of pursuing everything he wants. He understands or she understands that the thing that they may want is the very thing that will take them down as well as everything that they have worked for. You know, it comes down really to what we would rather have, what we value more than anything else. And so many people are are, t- are trading in their influence for freedom. So many people are saying, I'd rather have freedom to do what I want, to be who I want, to carve out my own little path in life, to to lay it out so that I can be safe and that I can be secure, that I can have the things around me that support my either my ego or my sense of security or any of those things. I'd rather have those things than the influence that God is calling me to have. And since this is Father's Day, I will say that I see dads make this trade off all the time because the work is hard. You spend eight to ten hours or more a day and you're out there and you're hitting the grind and you come back and the family is just as much work, if not more, because it drags in emotions. It drags in uh, anxiety. It's uh, hearing levels, all those kinds of things that come with being a dad after a long day of work. And I see dads all the time turn into the happy guy at home that gives their kids whatever they can give them just to get them off their back. What would make my wife happy so that when I come home, my time is my own? I'm out with the boys and I'm doing all these kinds of things. And I don't have to bother with any of those things because dad is providing the paycheck and he's also providing the fun and the luxuries and things. A dad's job is one of inconvenience and unpopularity at times. And we saw an image of a father I think most of us would want to be or at least be remembered as, as, as we saw that video. And I think if we said, if I could guarantee to be that kind of dad and I know what, the, what his kids think of him, then yeah, I'd give up those things. And I'd dial the clock back and I'd do it all differently. But the point is, is that you still can. But instead, what fathers opt for is a passivity that frustrates their children. It turns into anger. It turns into spoiled outbursts that we see from kids in the shopping centers and at the playgrounds and all those kinds of things, because they don't know where the boundaries are in life. And that is what dad is supposed to be showing them. To be able to say no, to be able to say this is not what we do, but to also emphasize this is how we have fun. This is how we enjoy our family. This is how we serve the Lord. And so I know this passage of Scripture isn't specifically to fathers, and we're not spending our entire time this morning talking to dads, but I think it's an appropriate time to interject those thoughts so that we mull those over just a little bit. As we look at this list in the coming months, as we get beyond even this this idea of being blameless and not having the accusations stick to us, we're going to see a very uh, steep list of qualifications. And it's important for us to ask every time we come to this passage, why would God require this? of his leaders just to be able to make the job hard? Or is there something that's close to his heart that he's trying to ensure and protect? And he wants his church to see it as an example before them. So each time that we come to one of these places, I'm hoping to make it extremely practical as to why God would even ask us to attain these these um, uh, elements of leadership. I believe that God would have us uh, want to be blameless because a high standard ensures the longevity of the church. If he keeps the bar high and men are striving to be those leaders in the church and that we as, 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 as family people and as workers are striving to keep some of those principles, that high standard causes us to, to last longer as an organization. It allows the family to survive longer because the standard is that much higher. Even if we're not perfect at hitting it every time, we're going up and up and up. Also, I think a practical outcome is a blameless leader is an undistracted leader. God knows that when a leader isn't looking over his shoulder waiting to get caught for his sin or waiting to get uh, in trouble for for being lazy behind the scenes or any of those things, that that leader has more the opportunity to look ahead and to evaluate, what is God doing next and and how can I bring people along? God knows that in the absence of sin, there is less conflict and there is less distraction. And a leader with a clear conscience is more decisive. There aren't all these layers of nuance and frustrations and fears and things that he has to sift through in order to see what is clearly right before him. So a leader with a clear conscience is very helpful to the work of the Lord and very helpful to their own heart and the weight on their own mind and shoulders. Also, I think one of the practical applications of of asking or requiring that his leaders be blameless is because people follow a person of conviction longer than and more faithfully than they will follow someone with a persuasive tongue or a persuasive mean about them or something that, that just is, is mostly talent driven or personality. That at the end of the day, people want to follow somebody with conviction. We hear statements like this often when, it, when they're evaluating somebody like that. They say, I may not agree with him or her all the time, but they know what they believe, and that's what I admire about them. So there are some very practical reasons as to why God would call his leaders to be blameless, just above the obvious of because he wants us to be holy. So it's impossible for, for us to avoid accusation. The goal for God's leader is that he doesn't give the accusation any ability to stick. It isn't like that saran wrap that sticks at the wrong time, that, 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 that is inconvenient, and I don't know how to untangle it now because it's a mess. God's leader is somebody who's not giving the accusations any ability to stick. But does that mean that they're going to be perfect? Of course not. God's leaders are imperfect. This side of heaven, we will fail. We are flawed. And sometimes the accusations do stick. And the leader should be humble enough to confess. Seek forgiveness. You know, we've been talking this morning in the context of our homes, and and I, I would say this specifically to dads, but moms as well. When's the last time you asked your kids forgiveness? I don't mean a passive parenting style that says, well, I'm not going to come down and be the leader. I'm not going to be the authority figure and stuff like that. But I mean, somebody who's really trying, but makes those mistakes. When's the last time you went to your son or your daughter and said, now, listen, what you just saw was a poor example. And I'm sorry that I left that for you. Would you please forgive me? With no excuses, no and buts or any of that kind of thing. But just going to that child and saying, would you please forgive me? There's humility in that and there's leadership in that as well. You know, the best we'll ever get in our church leadership, the best we'll ever get in our homes, the best we'll ever get in our communities is flawed leadership. But that flawed leadership is only strengthened. It's only at its best when it desires and sacrifices to make the list of flaws shorter and shorter. The standard remains high to reveal God's amazing grace that he would still allow us broken vessels to even lead his people. The path to living a blameless life requires self-examination. It requires us to be without wax, to be sincere. It requires us to start evaluating the things that we think we want in life versus what God really has for us and sacrifice those things that are in the way. So I pray that this morning that you will make the commitment to pursue a blameless life, one where the accusations do not stick any longer so that you can have the influence that God has called you to have on those around you. Would you please stand as we close our time in prayer? I'm going to ask the ladies to dismiss after we say amen and ask the men to stick around and share just a few minutes together afterwards. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the high standard. Lord, it's inconvenient. It is very, very difficult, near impossible to attain. And we know that's by your design. And so, Lord, while we struggle through it and while we make our mistakes and fall flat on our face, we are so thankful for the grace that covers all of our flaws and our failures, the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that it would continue to humble us so that we wouldn't try to cover those things up. We'd let you do your work through us and around us, Lord. We pray to be vessels that are used in honesty and integrity for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.